Talk Radio right here in the Kiva, AM 1600 KIVA and 93.7 FM Wrapping the Week with my good friends Kevin Petresnik and Jim Hammond, our host and the Spirits of New Mexico. Gentlemen, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Eddie. Lots to talk about here, oh. but uh, oh. we're oh, not yeah. going to talk about much. We're going to enjoy, and uh, you get to be along on this little journey where we sip wines, and uh, this is an especially good week as every week is, but uh, we're in more in my neck of the woods because there's nothing I love more than California Zins and California... Syrahs. That's what we'll be hap- having having today, and uh, we've got a, a nice uh, cheddar here, as well as uh, our great uh, spirits of New Mexico's personalities, Jim Hammond. He is the author of the Compendium on Wines here for the State of New Mexico, called Wines of Enchantment. You could pick that up on Amazon, and of course, uh, Kevin. He literally directs most of the alcohol and spirits and wine here in the state of New Mexico. Through Southern Glacier Wine and Spirits, and uh, we're going to kick it off first. Not uh, maybe a little bit. We could call it aperitif, but uh, really, yeah, it's a, it's like a tequila. I like uh, that. We start off. We we ease into the wine with some tequila. I like yeah. that. That's how we're going to. It do actually it. worked really well. It well, is, we uh, did we did that a couple of weeks ago with uh, mezcal. So I right. thought, I, you know, I wanted to bring something special here today too, and and just talk about it for just just a couple of minutes because I know Jim's got a ton of information on where we're going in in California. Um, but I brought with us today a push. Patron Estate Release. This is a very special product. It's a silver tequila, and you might think, well, what's the difference between this and just Patron Silver, right? Patron Silver Tequila. This is silver, that's silver. All silver tequilas are similar. This is special. This this tequila was made from the agave plants that were grown at the Patron Hacienda down in Amantatillo, Mexico. I, I think I probably said that wrong, but it's close enough. Um, beautiful little town, halfway between uh, Guadalajara and and Arandas up in the highlands. So it's about sort of halfway up the up the mountainous region. Uh-huh. And they have... The foothills. The foothills, yeah. They have surrounding the Patron um, factory, and, and they have a hacienda there, which has a beautiful rooms and a restaurant, and it's by invitation only, but it's the Patron hacienda and the, and the facilities that the, where they create the millions of cases, by, you know, that where they're packaging it by hand. There's hundreds of people on the floor of the factory still corking this and putting the labels around it and putting the cellophane and the boxes. I've, I've seen it. They, they build it by, you know, for a multi-million case brand, they do a lot of the work by hand down there. And the reason they do is because they employ a lot of people in Mexico and they, and they want to give back to the community. And so they don't, they don't mechanize any of, the, any of the finishing touches that they do on this product. Well, if you have manual labor, they have to be doing things by hand, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but I'm saying they could be very easily replaced yeah. with machines, and they choose not to do that. Yeah. Not because it would be more efficient, right? To it would be more efficient to box it by machine, like they do sometimes in Kentucky. That's okay with cars, I think. With tequila, I'd like doing it the way you say. Yeah, I, I have to show you this video. I have sometimes. There's hundreds of people working on the factory floor. But anyway, but this particular one, this is a this is the estate release. And they, they used the agave plants that were grown around the facility and around the hacienda, and they harvested them, and they replanted them. So this is only going to come out about once every eight to ten years. This is it. They did a limited production run. Every bottle is numbered and, and uh, with a you know, identifiable, unique number on it. And it is a. Uh, it says on here that it's um, 
brick oven roasted, and it's Tahona, uh, Tahona wheel. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So these are this is this is made in the Tahona style. If you're not familiar, it's a it's a pit with a a big stone that crushes the agave by the wheel rolling around the pit and the stone. And they used to have it. It used to be pulled by by mule or by horse, yeah. right, to go around this thing. Now, now they have mechanized that, right? So there's not a horse or a mule pulling the stone around the pit, but it's still a stone, and it's still in a, in a pit, and it's still being crushed gently. The, 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 the key here is the agave is crushed gently, yeah. and so that the, the, the juices are extracted softly and gently from, from the pina. Right. Yeah, actually, the, 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 we, he wasn't going to say this, but the, the mule died. That's why they had to go to that part. <laughs> wow. Come on, Jim. <laughs> But anyway, so this is special. This is a silver tequila, but it is it it's is a special. high highly refined silver tequila. Um, you're going to find this somewhere between eighty and ninety dollars retail. So it's not it's not for the faint of a, you know this is not this is not a, a margarita. But but let's talk. Oh, no, wait, no. Wait, oh, let's, please well, don't let's, put that in a margarita. That is a, no, a this great is a yeah. sipping tequila. Yeah. But but let's be careful here for a moment. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the size and the quality. What is so extra special about this is. This is literally mined from the uh, agave, from the cactus, right on the estate On itself. the estate. So it, that's why they call it estate release. So they, they can put the estate name on it because, yeah, you know, typically uh, the, the Patron products are sourced from, they have many farmers that they work with, and they choose the best piñas, and they, and they support all the farmers in, in the highlands. And this particular product is made from a single source, much like an estate-made wine. Exactly, it's which a single, is what we're going correct. to look at next. Yeah, so. but this is a single-source tequila, which is kind of unusual. It does, yep. You don't really see that too often, right, because there's so much agave grown everywhere, and people are picking and choosing the best. Oh, and, yeah. But this is, a, you know, this is a particular estate-release, estate-grown agave, which is I, I thought was kind of, you know, it makes it special and unique. You know, we, we got about 100 cases here in New Mexico, um, give or take, and so, therefore, you know, that would mean nationwide, you know, there was only maybe... I don't know. Probably less than ten thousand cases made. Maybe seven or eight thousand cases of this, and and then there's no more. And then once it's gone, it's gone. And you might see it. Well, this is this has been out for about a year, year and a half. So so you're gonna see it maybe you know in 2027, 2028. You might see it again. So it's kind of that's that that makes it kind of a special purchase. It does. It absolutely. How, how many acres do they have there? Were they? I yeah. I don't know the exact number, but what, I mean, if I was, I mean, it was. It, it's probably you know, a fifty acre, fifty to a hundred acre facility. I don't know how many of those are actually agave fields, but it's not. I mean, it's not much. I mean, it's by by agave standards, it's not much. It takes a, about. Um, I'm trying to remember what the number was. I think it was about ten pounds of pina of agave to make a single bottle that's and, and i was i'm using that reference from some of the other tequila facilities i've been to where it, it's pretty standard across you know like how much tequila, how much agave how much of the raw pina do you need to make a bottle you need a lot yeah so a so a single pina will weigh anywhere from you know 70 to 80 pounds and so a single pina will produce you know these are in six packs so you got to figure one pina one plant will probably produce one six-pack case of this product, somewhere in that. I said I'm just estimating, guessing, based based on what I know of the of how it how it kind of calculates. But so I mean, it, it, it's a, it's an involved process. There's a lot of raw material. You know, they do something special down there too, which I just worth mentioning, and then we'll move on to the wine. But um, they compost 
all the waste material, all the spent and used piña and, and agave after it's been cooked and pressed and used. Once that's done, they have a massive composting facility where they turn that into organic material and they use it back in the fields. So, I mean, there is not, they're very, it's, it's a massive sustainability project oh, yeah. down there. Well, just what not every facility does it. that. Yeah, just what didn't they prepare it was was suggested they would do that as part of it. Yeah, you know, it's it, it is it's just this is their baby. Yeah, they, they, uh, they do a huge amount of stuff, but this is the, the stuff that they treasure the most that they're doing, obviously. So, so they break it down and then they use they use the waste and make sure the waste gets recycled back into the earth and used to it to you know they treat it with enzymes and all that, and then they make sure it goes back to be fertilizer or whatever back on the back on the facility back on the property. So they give it out to the farmers to use for their fields. So, I mean, there's really very little waste that happens down there. I mean, obviously they're consuming energy because they are a factory in their production, but they try to give back in, in every way, just the, with, between the sustainability, the people. They, they bus the people back to their homes, back and forth. They run three shifts worth of tour buses. Imagine a fleet of tour buses. They take these people to and from the factory every day. I mean, it's, you know, you wonder why you pay more for a product like Patron. That's what you're paying for. You're not just paying for the liquid inside, but you're also paying for the fact that they're helping a community down there. And so if you think about it in that respect, it, you know, not, not a lot of people think of, of Patron that way. They think it's, oh, it's just this big mass-produced brand. It's actually not. There's a great story behind it, and uh, I'm proud to be representing it. So I don't just they, Don't they also bake this? Yeah they, they cook, yeah, they cook it. They cook it first. Yes, okay, the so pina is cooked for yeah. about twenty-four it, to forty-eight hours. And the pina is the fruit. I mean, if you wanted to eat it, you could absolutely. Yeah, it's like a root. Know, it's it. like a root. Ve- it's a it's a root vegetable. Yeah, it's a root. Um, and then and then then they cook it. It's a fruit though. It's the fruit, not the root. No, no, it. yeah, right. The 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 plant the the leaves grow above ground. The right. pina grows underground. Okay. And they they chop it. They cook it. And then that's where they crush it with the Tohono wheel after it's been cooked. Got and that's what extracts the sugars and then the sugars they use to distill and convert to alcohol. Yep. Out of that. Well, cheers. Salud, as Salud. they say in Mexico. Five centuries of toasting uh, right there, gentlemen. Salud. Arriba, abajo, al centro, al dentro. Wow. <laughs> Pretty soon you're going to be blowing the whistle there at the, the uh, uh, Avelina Revolution in, uh, in Tijuana. <laughs> <laughs> tequila poppers, tequila poppers. Oh. Don't even don't even remind me. Uh, oh. <laughs> you just brought back a bad memory. <laughs> well, right. you just know, saying I, tequila I, I poppers. Had a, I had a great day uh, on the Avenida Revolution in Tijuana, and uh, we spent uh, the weekend various, uh, visiting various establishments, such as Chudi's House of Beer and the local Hialeah place, which. We were betting on that, and we had no idea what the hell we were doing. But Hialeah is extremely, <laughs> yeah. extremely entertaining. I used, oh, to, yeah, I used yeah. to skip Tijuana. I used to go to Rosarita. That was oh, my, yeah. That there's was my a, spot. There's I a know. place down there just south. It's, it's I don't a, little know. Bit, a little bit more sane. Place. Yeah, I like yeah. Rosarita. <laughs> uh, there's another place that's uh, just above that. Uh, actually, Trump started building. It's a, the, the lobster capital of the world. If you're looking for oh. deep-fried lobster with uh, churros, charro beans, and uh, rice and all the cervezas, uh, cervecitas that you want, you can go ahead and go to a place called Puerto Nuevo. Oh, nice. And it has these greasy tortillas that you could literally just see right through, and they butter up that fried lobster. You're walking out four lobsters late. I'm not even, I'm not even joking. <laughs> you literally eat four lobsters. Four lobster. Who, who eats four lobsters? You do when you go to that place. And you put them in a little burrito and just people can't stop eating. Do you have, okay. we get a, that's a whole other show. Do you have like a, we need a food review show. Like, 
Jim could do it's it. It's like a whole separate show. Well, we all could do, could do that. I'll oh. do the cheese show. And it's, yeah. <laughs> okay, moving to a different, up up a little further north from where we were. Just a little bit. A little, just a little bit. Not too, not too far. Yeah. Actually, a, a fair distance as far as that goes. The, we're going to look at the wines of the Sierra foothills and, and focus, of course, on Amador County. Um, so the first time I, I went to uh, the gold country uh, in uh, the... So I'm, I'm, I'm teaching uh, computer science in Silicon Valley. Uh, my wife, Barbara, is marketing a lot of that kind of stuff. We have, a, a, obviously, a lot of friends that are all in that business, right? And it sucks you dry. It really does. When you're doing this, and, and I, I know it very well from having been there, every once in a while we say, we have to get the hell away, <laughs> okay? Excuse the, the, the language there, but we had to just escape, and so... Uh, Barbara and I and three other couples, we decided we're going to go up camping in the gold country. And so, so we actually went, uh, we basically escaping for the whole weekend. No cell phones then, okay? This was, this was a, a while ago, friends. So we didn't have, well, there was cell phones, but they, they were big, humongous things, and you had these battery packs you had to carry with them. So no one was going to reach us where we were. So we're, we're camping on the Stanislav River. Which of course is fed by the, the the Sierra. We're in the foothills, of course, and it's just it was just gorgeous. So we, we were there putting the tents up, uh, cooking, you know, on the campfire, um, going into the you know, kind of semi bathing in, in the in the water. That is really cold water, by the way. That is mountain fed water. Uh, that is really cold water. So we were doing very quick bathing things. Uh, anyway, but it was fabulous, and it was long. Oh several years after that, that I actually went back up there uh, as, to explore the area for the uh, wines they had up there. And again, somewhat like New Mexico, if you will, a lot of them, they were somewhat apart from each other. You didn't have like a Highway 29 in Napa lineup of wineries. You had to look for each one. And, and it was just a lot a lot different and, and just exciting. We, we loved it. And all of the wineries there are family-owned. Um, a, a lot of them uh, have farms, and, and then they went from farming to this. It is a very special area, um, very unique, even in California, I, I think. And it's an area that has some special areas. Uh, so basically, if we we're just breaking it down, the, the, the counties there, um, there's a, a cluster of wineries around three specific towns. So when you focus on it, you really look, look at those three towns, and then you could even stay at a B&B there. They have some really cool B&Bs up there as well. Um, and just explore them. So you had the, the towns of Plymouth, Murphy, and Placerville. Placerville is a name you've probably heard of from the gold country. And, and of course, the biggest concentration is in Emidar County. Um, and that's where both of these wines came from. We have a Syrah and a Petite Syrah. Uh, if you were wondering, what is the difference between Syrah? Jim, can you tell us what the difference is between a Syrah and a Petite Syrah? I almost got that out of my mouth before you jumped in there. <laughs> Please. Uh, I would love to. Uh, in fact, we're, we're going to explore that in a little bit of detail, but I want to talk about the history of both and kind of how they evolved because it's actually really fascinating. This is really an American story, American wine story, when you get down to it. Um, we already know Zinfandel is an American grape, right? It is a quintessential American grape. Well, guess what? So is Petite Syrah. Really? Yeah, it, huh. it, it, it absolutely is. Now, it, it originated in France, as most things, most good wines have. 
the French kind of turned their nose up to it. They, they would use it. Uh, they actually said, yeah, no, we, we will not use this grape. And uh, so, uh, which probably really up, upset uh, Francois Durf because he was the one that came up with this idea. Uh, and originally the, the grape was called Durif, D-U-R-I-F. Sometimes misspelled with an extra F added to it, but there you go. Uh, but Francois was had passed away by then, so he didn't care. But in any case, um, this uh, when it came to America, uh, MacGyver actually was the guy who brought, who imported it. He decided he had to give it a, a different name because I guess Durif didn't sound that exciting. He called it Petit Syrah. This was the first part of the confusion that we were going to get into, and we're, we'll go into it in detail. But I don't want to get too far off the, the main story here. So the uh, well, since we're focusing on Amador, we'll just continue with that. But talk about a little bit of the history of the Sierra Foothills, because some of this may surprise you. This was, of course, the epicenter of the California Gold Rush of 1848. But guess what else? In 1848, uh, wine grapes were first introduced to Placer County, uh, the same year that James Marshall discovered gold. So there's actually two things we discovered, California wine and gold. Gold and liquid. Liquid gold. Liquid gold, exactly. <laughs> uh, so this was Claude Shanna. Uh, uh, he discovered it in the Auburn Ravine, planted the first grapes. So during the gold rush, of course, of course, a lot of people from Europe came in here because it was like, it's gold, it's gold, we have to go there. And uh, a lot of these were European winemakers. So they established a lot of larger vineyards there, started producing increasing qualities, uh, quantities and qualities, I would imagine, because they're Europeans of, of wine. In uh, the 1860s, the winemaking became a thriving industry. Many of the miners there, uh, after the gold that played out, uh, started becoming winemakers from a miner to a winemaker isn't that kind of like wow how does that happen um and at at the the time this year foothills had more vineyards and wineries than sonoma and napa counties combined okay yeah this was a significant early implementation so this is where uh, it wasn't just gold. It, it was it was the, the, that gold liquid we, we call wine in California that evolved at the same time. So the obviously very significant history going on here. Of course, prohibition comes in the 1920s, screwed up so many things. I mean, it was one of the most misinformed laws anyone ever came out with. And I won't go into the politics of that other than just saying the devastation it did in wine around the world, uh, which was horrific. I, I mean, one of the greatest... Food sources, because really wine is food we have ever had, being shut down. Wrong. Totally wrong. Anyway, uh, so it, they they had to convert from there. So they, they actually ripped up a lot of the vines, unfortunately, and started planting uh, fruit trees. And it actually became, and of course, it was a railroad system that went right through the heart of the county. So they started uh, producing, you know, prune and, and uh, citrus and plum. Uh, orchards, and it became known as the nation's fruit basket. Uh, and, and of course, that continued until the 1960s when the wine industry kind of evolved again. Okay, Amador County. The name already sounds wonderful. Doesn't it sound like you would want anything from Amador County, be it a, a plum or a bottle of wine? And, oh, yeah. And in fact, the two that we have Beautiful are name. Two primo ones. It, it is. It's. it's it, well, you, you as a marketer would say, oh, just put Amador County on it, even if it's on the fringes, right? Because it'll, it, it'll sell. So, 
So Zinfandel, of course, is the main is the main um, grape that is grown here in Amador County. Um, of course, that's from as early as uh, roots. In fact, the oldest vineyards of Zinfandel in the world are here. Okay, and I have sampled wine from some of these old vine vineyards. You know, there's a lot of things. They slap labels, old wine, the vineyard on it. These are the, where it all started. These are, they were just in, absolutely incredible. The, the wines were very much like this tequila we were sampling. Transcendent. Uh-huh. That's the word I'm going to use for it. All right. <laughs> anyway, so the, um, the, the uh, again, this is early winemaking. So a lot of the, the vines were, are still head trained and spur pruned. As, as basically a standard that would they used before the trellis system came up. Uh, there are some trellis wines there. Um, a, a, again, a, 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 they, they use bilateral cordons and vertical uh, trellising. And again, if, if that sounds like, what does that mean? Well, a, again, I can, I've, I've seen this in a lot of different places. And when they do a trellis, the whole idea is you want to bring the vines up higher into the sun and expose them more. So what what they do is they is they take a series of metal poles and root them in the ground and they they run two very heavy duty wires through it, uh, very thick wires. They actually have turnbuckles at either end to tighten it down. So you have two vertical lines. Then they train the, the they they take what are called the two main canes. And again, this is part of the experience you have to know. Okay, here's the two main fruit producing branches. I'm going to strap them on these two vertical uh, bars and eventually they'll they'll grow up and 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 I will get a lot of sun exposure to them and I will bear more fruit. However, for some reason they understood early on that doing too much production of a grape was going to really uh, uh, really dilute the quality of your wine. So they they did some other things in that, including uh, very severe pruning. So when you do that, you're cutting some of the leaves. If you cut some of the leaves, you're going to get less production because the leaf, of course, is providing a lot of the energy for the grapes to grow. Uh, then they're also going to um, drop some, some of the old, the, 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 the smaller bunches off so that what they have left now is very, very concentrated grapes. Sure, you're focusing the energy of the, of the plant towards what you want. And, exactly. And, sorry, controlling production. Really exactly. Yeah. yeah. Controlling the yield. So yeah, it's typically about four tons per acre. Four tons per acre. That's really not a lot of fruit, uh, but it's quality fruit, and that's that's what obviously they're looking for. Uh, also, realize that over 600 acres of this area is over 65 years of age. The huh. oldest ones are from the 1860s. Wow. Okay. I mean, would that be classified that would? And I'm asking just out of, but I see, I hear the term old vine zin. Is, right. that, is that where that's coming from? Yeah, the thing is, if they say old, old vine, well, how old is the vine? Right, so some right. people will say, well, it's 25 years. Yeah, <laughs> there, there's no, there, there's no uh, limit on the use of the term old vine. No, there, yeah. there is not, just like the term reserve here. Yeah. In, in, in Europe, of course, it's a defined term. Here it's not. So it could be anything. But when we talk about old vines, we're talking about really old ones. And uh, so, and I've, I've tried some of the grapes from the, 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 the one that I'm, that was just like uh, it, it was. It was truly transcendent. It's uh, Vino de Chateau is one of my favorite wineries there. In fact, our our good friends 
uh, the, the reason we even came here uh, w- w- was because of uh, the, the Telfers, uh, Phyllis and, and Peter Telfer. And, and Peter, of course, was working at the Vino de Chetto. And he said, Jim, I want you to come here. I, I want you to try some of the wines we have there. Of course, he's explored a lot of it. And we went around exploring it. This is like being, since I've been in Tuscany, too, as, as, as well as the what is called the Shenandoah Valley mm-hmm. of California, I thought I was back in Tuscany. A lot of the vineyards are up on top of hills. A lot of them were actually chateaus very much in the Italian style, yeah. including one of the wines we have here, Terradora. Uh And it is, it is a really impressive, if you ever have a chance, you have to go there. It is a really, actually, you should go there and explore all of it. You will want to spend days and days there. Uh, it's just an extraordinary area. Anyway, so uh, this this uh, particular wine is is they called OGP. I said, what does that mean? Old Grand Père. Well, what does that mean? Oh, it's the Old Grand Père vineyard, and this is the oldest vineyard there. Ah. And very small, very small. I tried this this wine. I could not believe this was the best Zinfandel bar none I have ever had. Uh, that include Turley, because they're one of the big situations. Yeah, no, yeah. no, I, this was the best Zinfandel I've ever had. And so, you know, and of course, we're not doing Zinfandel here. I understand that. But the, the thing is, it's, if Zinfandel will grow great there, a lot of other uh, grapes would probably grow great there. In fact, Petit Syrah and Zinfandel typically were grown together uh, in, in a lot of areas. So that was not unusual. And why not bring in Barbera? And in fact, uh Leon Soban of the first wine were, that we're sampling here um, is uh, was uh, again one of the early implementers of a lot of the Rhone varietals, uh, including the rebirth of Syrah. Um, and it did require a, a rebirth because most people didn't know what they were what, what they were drinking, as as we'll find out. So the um, typical grapes, other than the Zinfandel, of course, are the Barbera. Uh, again, when I was here, I was doing the Sangiovese, the Barbera, and the Zinfandel. Those were the three I focused on. I, I mean, there was just so much wine to go there. Yeah. Uh, you had to just kind of narrow it down, right? And, and of course, the uh, Vino and Chetta, besides doing this fabulous Zin, do, uh, their Sangiovese was from the Brunello clone, okay? And they did some astonishing, San, the best Sangiovese I've tasted outside of, outside of Tuscany. I was getting from here. So this is great, fertile, wonderful land for, for doing this. And, uh, again, if you think about the, the area of, of uh, Amador County, it's it's located uh, to, to the west of Lodi wine region, which, interestingly enough, of course, uh, at one time had the highest production of Zinfandel grapes, about 65% at one time. Yeah, Lodi is uh, is definitely known for its quantity, Yes, yes. We'll leave it at that. Yeah, I won't, uh, yeah. We won't make any other comparison. But there's well, certain... there, are, there is some quality there, There too. is some quality. You've you got to find it. You, yeah, you, you have to look for it. You've really got to, you know, yep. dig, it, through the need, dig through the haystack. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just like anything else. Right. So, so this, was, this was obviously to the east of that, and, and obviously the Sierra foothills. And uh, it still has somewhat of a Mediterranean climate because of the delta. So, uh, again, the Delta is a very significant area. It's, it's affected other areas, too, including uh, Livermore Valley. And, and so, basically, the San Francisco Bay is, of course, it's a huge bay, as any of you know if you've ever been out there. But there's a lot of the rivers that feed that bay. And this is what's called the Delta. So, uh, again, it does get a lot of marine influence, at, if, if you will. So, it really does cause a what we call a really big diurnal shift. 
meaning that the day to, to night temperatures really drop significantly. And, of course, this is great for grapes because they get a chance to relax. It was 100 degrees during the day, and it's dropped down to about 65. I'm really happy now. It was a great because now I can get my, my – uh, I've already pr- producing all the sugar I need. Now I'm going to work on the, on the acidity to keep it up so that you maintain the balance. Because if you have a big, grapey wine that's, that's high alcohol but doesn't have a lot of acidity to it, it's, it's not the same as having a balanced wine where you have some acidity that kind of go with it that really makes it just, you don't want to swallow it. It just feels so good in your mouth. You just want to just keep, keep doing it. Anyway, the uh, Sangiovese I already, already mentioned, Syrah has about 227 acres uh, as of 2015. Uh, so that was a pretty significant planning for, for that grape. And they also had Viognier. They had more in the past uh, when it was the hot fad. It's not now. You could probably, uh, you're, you're probably aware of that, right? The, the Viognier in the late 80s and early 90s was, a, was the new replacement for Chardonnay. Yeah. yeah. And, and so it became really popular. But you're get, probably getting less of it now, right? Yeah, there's definitely less of it. Yeah. yeah. So... So, so, so there's less plantings of that. Now, compared to that, Zinfandel is 2,105 acres. So that's a, a lot more. But still, Syrah was one of the more significant plantings that they had. Petite Syrah was uh, a little less than uh, 114 acres. Yeah, for the, for ba- I'm back on the Viognier for a second. There's a, I mean, there's some, there's some action on the Chenin Blanc Viognier blend. Okay. That, but, but, but Viognier, yeah, there, I don't see it too much. There's not a lot of activity going on for that. It was the fattest design, but it's still yeah. a great grape. Yeah, it really is. But it seems like more of a blending grape now than than a than a standalone. Um, well, it it is in some cases. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it, it's it's also done as hundred uh, percent. Well, in the northern uh, Rhone area, right. it definitely is. Right. Uh, the Control and and uh, Chateau Grier, uh both both do one hundred percent Viognier, but in the U.S. not as not as much. Anyway, uh, please go on. I, but I, it, it is a I, good grape for New Mexico, by, yeah. by the way. It, it really grows really well. Anyway, so it's a fascinating area. So, again, what we're tasting, I'm, I know you were just hanging on my every word to hear, okay, what yeah, is it? Yeah, come on. We've got to get, get there. <laughs> so th- this Keep is hanging. Yeah. This is a Soban Estate 2018 Syrah from Amador County, 14.5% alcohol, nicely balanced, eighteen ninety nine a bottle at Total Wine. And that's a really good price, by the way. This is a, this is definitely punching above its weight, as as uh, as my good friend Kevin would say. <laughs> so, and, and again, one of the reasons I I did this was because I'm reading a a book, which we're, if we have time, we'll talk about it, called American Rhone, which is about a lot of the wine mavericks, and they really that's what you would call them, uh, who really had a passion for a lot of the Rhone varietals, Syrah being a classic one, of course, and uh, trying to. Uh, trying to grow those grapes uh, as early implementers of of really a resurgence of of this particular grape. So there there you can find them at at sobonsobonwine dot com. A really good website gives you all the information on it. And uh, it was founded in 1977 uh, by Shirley and Leon Soban. He was uh, they came from Los Altos, California, which is where Barbara and I had lived before we moved out here to New Mexico. And uh, he was a senior scientist at Lockheed and decided that he really had a passion for wine. He wanted to make wine. This is not an unusual thing for here. Uh, for instance, if I can segue just for a second, on the 19th of this month, uh, we're doing a private tasting with uh, Rick Hobson of Milagro Wines. 
Uh, I think Kevin's probably familiar with, with them. I am. And uh, we had two friends coming into town, and uh, they they that uh, they already know about Malagra. They, they said, is there some way we can get them to taste some Malagra wine? So so Rick is sending this up, so we're doing a private tasting for four of us uh, about 2 o'clock. It's going to be wonderful. I'll, I'll report on that after the, the show. But I haven't had a chance to do any tasting there for months. Usually uh, every, every month when they have the opening, we're doing tasting. But because of the COVID stuff, we haven't been able to do that. We still can buy the wine, but haven't been able to do a tasting. So I'm really juiced about that. <laughs> As you can probably imagine. Anyway, uh, so that that was, uh, it's not unusual. Again, a lot of these engineers, they're already technical, and we've learned so much about the wine technology, if you will. There's still an art in, in it, of course, but a, a lot of it is what we learned about wine that we didn't before. And that and, and someone who was a scientist is actually, especially if they do love wine, they're in a, a great position to be able to be a good winemaker. Uh, Rick Hobson uh, certainly is, is is an example of, of that as well. Okay, so the, they have actually two sets of vineyards. One is Shenandoah Vineyards. The other is the uh, the estate. And of course, the this Syrah comes from there. And of course, some winemakers do get a little rhapsodic about their wine. So this one says this deep, dark, brooding wine from our highest, most steeply terraced estate vineyard, naturally farmed and sustainably grown. Again. The most sustainable organic uh, vineyards in California are in the Sierra foothills, the highest concentration. And, of course, they're certainly one that does that. He says it's a redolent of forest scents, exotic spices, spring violets, and fresh blueberries. Nearly opaque in appearance. Again, it's a really deep, dark wine, very much like Petit Syrah. Uh, And uh, it's got layers of ripe black fruits, sleek minerality, and meaty, smoky textures. Uh, elegant with a long velvety finish. Offering is ready to for now, or uh, they ba- basically recommend uh, you can uh, you can age it for up to three to seven years. So uh, again, it's, it has a screw cap, so they're not assuming you're going to lay it down for forty or fifty years. Uh, so and and I, I would as soon as I got a bottle, I would probably be really tempted to open it right off the bat. So, uh, what what was your your thoughts? Uh, you you mentioned before you really got the earthy elements of this particular wine. Yeah, it was it, it was um, it was interesting. It was um, yeah. I mean, that's what that's what came across to me the most. It was, but it was it was a, a big full mouthfeel too. Oh and yeah, like nice and very full body. Yeah, yeah, both these wines are, but not. Nice. I mean, tannic, but not overly so. That's yeah. kind of you know there was definitely you could definitely taste some tannins in there, but it wasn't it wasn't overpowering. It wasn't like you know cheap. Puckering, right in, right. You know, the, the yeah, the the astringency that you sometimes get with yes. uh, a lot of tannins. And again, we of course, as always, we always double decant our, our wines uh, if it's a red wine uh, before we. You know, I always try it first. I want to see what it's like, and, and I'll be like, oh yeah, we definitely want to double decant this. Open it up, let it uh, breathe a little bit. So basically, we put it in a in a carafe, and then we put it back in the in the bottle, and. Uh, it works out really well because it basically gives about 45 minutes to an hour of breathing time. And these are wines that are still going to be breathing, if you will, three or four hours later because they're still opening up. So you're saying the double decanting actually speeds up the opening? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And, I mean, you said 45 minutes of breathing time. So meaning by double decanting, is that the equivalent right. of just pouring it and letting it breathe for 45 minutes? Yeah. Okay. 
Uh, well, you know, if you have the time to actually put it in a carafe. Who, who has that time? And, uh, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you just took the words right out of my mouth. Just ripped them right out, right past my tongue. I, I just, anyway, yeah, exactly. I don't know about you, but when I open a bottle, I want to drink it. Exactly. I'm not sitting there going, well, you know what? I'm going to open a bottle in 45 minutes from now. I'm going to want it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That is the that is the conundrum, isn't it? It's yeah. is that when we desire the wine, we sh- we should have our desire should have uh, uh, anticipated us by an hour. That's like uh, the people that go to buffets. I never understood the people that that we, well, okay, back bef- you know, pre everything going on here in the world. Oh, yeah, right. People used to wait in line for buffets, and and I uh, I'm gonna go fat flashback to the '90s when I worked at the Mirage. There was like oh. three three hour line to get into the buffet. Would you stand in line for three hours before you were going to eat? I mean, seriously, who do, who does that? I'd be eating the person in front of me. Yeah, who who are these? <laughs> I mean, it's like a, it's almost like an episode of Seinfeld. Who are these people? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> who are? <laughs> what are they doing? What are they doing? <laughs> who are these people? Oh yeah. Well, there's buffets and, and buffets. I've had a couple, and I won't won't go into it, that were absolutely fabulous and. But I, it's it's best to find one that doesn't have a long line like that, I think. But the point is, if you're going to drink the wine, drink the wine. I mean, you're not going to wait two hours to drink no, it. No, no. So let's be realistic here. No, you, you you will not. So, okay, we talked about Syrah, Petit Syrah. So uh, the one of the, the books that uh, has influenced this particular week, of course, is called American Rhone. And it's uh, bought by uh, Patrick uh, Kamiski, and it is is absolutely a fascinating book. It's it's, uh, it's, it's I, I was like reading my own wine history at the same time because he was talking, focusing more on the '60s above and and how everything evolved and and you know our attitudes and the changes. And we explored this a little bit uh, last week when we talked about Chardonnay, right? Because I talked about the beginnings of Chardonnay and, right. and the styled, stylistic differences over time. And and uh, so that's not unusual when we talk about the Rhone varietals and how, how they've evolved over time. So one of the chapters actually talked about the uh, Syrah and Petit Syrah and and the a case of mistaken identity. And it was it was also yeah y- y- your glass is empty. You better put some more wine in it. Uh, that's this is this is the this is our emotional fuel for continuing. <laughs> And um, so, a- anyway, the uh, one of the the, uh, the chapters in, in the book talks about this, and it, it, it basically said this here's was an early example of identity theft. People thought it was a Syrah; it was really Petit Syrah. And uh, again, part of it may be uh, MacGyver's problem because he was the one that took the French Durf grape and called it Petit Syrah because it kind of reminded him somewhat of, of Syrah. And again, there are some distinct differences between these two wines and the characteristic grapes as, as well. Petit Syrah really should be called Grande Syrah because they're always big wines. Uh, they were typically used more for blending. Um, but as a single varietal, when you can get it, it's wonderful. And any place we could find them, we, we did. It is because it's, it's really uh, significantly grown and evolved here. In, uh, mostly in California, um, it is a quintessential American grape, very much like <laughs> Zinfandel. It's interesting that you that Petite Syrah is less, let's just call it less delicate than Syrah. Yeah, exactly. It's a it's a bit confusing. 
Well, you, you look at when, when you pour it, it yeah. it's, it's, it's like, uh, I always just say it's, it's, it's kind of like, like a dark star. It's like you can't see through it. It is very dense, although the Syrah is as well. They're both very dense. Yeah. Uh, they're actually more compatible, I think, in their taste and everything. Then, But you definitely get the difference in, in, the, in the Petite Syrah. You get uh, a little bit more, so it's more of the red fruit. Uh, you, you get some creamy elements going on here that are a little different. And it's definitely more astringent. There's some more. There, I, I think, thought so. I think, I find, yeah, I find it to be a little more, a little more astringent. But that's just me. Everybody's, you know, you're chewing on it for a little bit there. Yeah, a, a little bit more. Yeah. That's what kind but of. But still to my taste. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, they, they are very compatible. They're like siblings. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> they are. Well, the, the, they are. And, and again, this is because now if you were tasting a northern, remember when we did the, the northern California, I'm, I'm sorry, the northern Rhone yeah. grapes, very different style. Yes. Uh, yes. Not, not not really big like this. Well, you, you know, it's a different growing region. Of course, it's going to be different. You know, crazy Americans, they do everything big. Exactly. We, we go big. Oh, yeah. Even on our, we go big in our wines. Well, we're not, we're less, we're less delicate than the French. Exactly. Sure. Uh, well, they, they they think that about almost every aspect That's of great. American <laughs> life. That's true, but so so what? It, 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 we all have our differences. Anyway, the this was part. These were both grown together in what are called black vineyards. Okay, uh, a black vineyard. That's a. It's. I don't know if it's a technical term, but it's it's basically. It was a term that was used a lot when they started planting grapes. I'm talking about the 1880s and on, because they. The uh, Petit Syrah grape was introduced, I think, in 1882, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, 1880s, yeah. And uh, so, th- when when this particular grape a- arrived, the uh, MacGyver who had imported it really liked it a lot, so he started planting it. Uh, the Syrah was already there too. So the black vineyards are ones that had all black skin grapes. Okay. I- again, a lot of red wine grapes are not black skin. So these are all black varietals, uh, both of them along with a number of others. In fact, up to about eight or nine different varieties. Did they know all these varieties? Did they have them labeled on each row? Heck no. They had no idea. They just, it became part of what they call a field blend. Are you familiar with that term? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, so, so it was a field blend. They just took all the grapes together, harvested them together, blended them together, fermented, and made the wine from them. And because it was a blend, they just, you know, other than, well, maybe we should take more of this from this row, from that row, right? Without knowing what it was, right? It's just, this is really what you, what we call seat of the pants, uh, just take your best guess kind of wine growing, which I'm sure would have been, uh, which would have upset the, the French. They say, you, you need at least two generations of, of time to un- understand what a, a grape is doing. And, and, you know, so, and and they they understood pretty well. They were really good. The French were always really good about identifying the grapes, the quality, from the time of the monks, all the way on. They, they, they this was part of what what they were proud of was always knowing the origin of the grapes. That was not the case in California. It was like, well, you know, well here, here's here's a typical dialogue that that you could have had uh, from it. Is is uh, is someone goes into a field and they see these grapes growing. They say. It looks like a really nice white wine grape. What is it? Uh, the grape grower, after scratching his head. Well, it could either be Chardonnay or Pinot Blanc or even Pinot Gris. But I like the taste. That was about it. We, we had no idea. It's a white wine grape, okay? <laughs> and it, it, it works, so shut up. 
<laughs> and stop, was, stop asking me questions. Stop asking me difficult questions. I'm okay, a, I'm a great farmer. <laughs> Is that, I don't know exactly. what they are. Yeah, I don't know what they are, but they they, they, they kind of work. So th- that that was the deal. So actually, the uh, mystery was um, was solved as many other things were by Professor Carol Meredith of UC Davis. She was the one that came up with DNA testing of, of grapes, and and uh, so she understood all the ampelographic elements of it, which is basically, you know, the amp- ampelography is a, is a science of studying plants. If it's a wine, then you're looking at the kind of uh, vines you you have, how they grow. You want to look at the grape, the grape clusters, the skin on the grape, all those aspects, the fruit. Uh, the leaf, the leaf structure, all those are part of how you're trying to identify one grape from another. You could almost call it in modern terms a uh, grape contact tracing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and trying so, to get back to where, who it's been in contact with, who did it cross-pollinate with. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. How did, and, and, how did and, it evolve? And, and yeah. it gets really, it really is amazing. And so some of the black vineyards that, that Carol checked out, she said, there's eight different grapes here from <laughs> here, okay? So... Um, and, and and we we have a a lot to thank UC Davis and the people there. Actually, it's it's great we had that university because we have learned so much about about uh, grapes and and wine from from what what they've done over the years. So I have a lot of admiration for that particular university and what they've done. And I mean, if if you're going to be a a winemaker, where do you normally go? Yep, yeah. that's right, UC Davis. So what, are we ready to talk about the other one? What are we? We uh. Oh, well, I, I know we started. We started talking about Petit Syrah, but in particular, what we're tasting is a Terra di Oro. Right, right. I, I'm sorry. Which I, is, I, that's just, right. I'm just jumping around here. Which is also from Plymouth. Uh, the, the wineries in Plymouth right. as well. And uh, this is owned by our, our good friends at the the Trincaro family. So, right. So right. our folks that own uh, that are that pioneered Sutter Home wine. Oh, yeah. t- took over Sutter Home and accidentally discovered White Zinfandel back in 1973. Right, but uh, but they've been but they've been in the business for for many many years, and, and this was the they, they own this winery as well, and it's a fantastic uh, a, a part of their portfolio of wines. I mean, they you realize you think about they they have uh, it, besides uh, besides this, and they have Napa Cellars and and Joel Gott wines and Sea Glass, and the list goes on and on with fantastic wines in their portfolio. So um, no surprise that they make a quality wine coming out of uh, Amador County. In this. Oh yeah. And Trinceras has been oh. synonymous with Zinfandel for a long yeah. time, too. A Folia Dew is in their portfolio as well, which is okay. another fantastic yeah, wine. Yeah, this is so. a lot, yeah. So, yeah. But this is their, this is their, the shining star of Amador County for them, for sure. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's a, the, the winery itself, you said you haven't been to I the haven't been there. It is been there. It amazing. It is a very Italian, like a huge Italian villa. It's on top of a hill again oh. uh, in Plymouth. Uh, when Barbara and I went there, we go into the tasting room. Which was cavernous. It would be one way to describe it. it. Was really, really big. Nice. And it was up two stories. You had all these windows up above, shining light down. And you had this long counter that went for. You could have probably had a hundred people at the counter there. Big, big place. And we, we went through about eight or nine of the wines. There wasn't one that didn't impress me. I said, "Oh, this is a good." Yeah, so they're making a quality product yeah. there for so, sure. So when, when when you said this was the one you're bringing, I says, "Oh, that'll be good." Yeah. <laughs> No question about it. So this one is a uh, where is it? Okay. 2017 Petit Syrah. There it is. Yeah, 2017 Teladoro uh, Petit Syrah, 14.5 percent alcohol as well, about 18 dollars on yeah, average. That's about right. Yeah. Yeah. So they're very close. Uh, personally, I would tell you, 
I love both these wines. Uh, they're, they're different enough that I, I might choose slightly different food to go with either, but I would love either one. Uh, there isn't, uh, I, I would, uh, I, I would be hard pressed to say which one I, I love more. They're both really, really good. I would agree. They're, they're, they're different. They're slightly different, yeah. but related. Right. You can taste the relation, but they're different, but they're good. They're both excellent. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm impressed with both. Yeah, there's no uh, to me today. There's no clear winner. They're no. they're both they're both outstanding. So I would go with that. And and they are you know the price point is about the same as well. And, really great quality for the price. I mean, if oh, you think uh, about I, I what think you're so. getting in the bottle for the price you pay for this, you know. Wait, when you get something like like this under twenty dollars, right. I I think you're, you're doing well. Yeah, you definitely found the liquid gold as as we liquid both said. <laughs> so th- this one is. Um, and again, I talked a little bit about, about the, the confusion about the two grapes, and now we're real familiar with them. And I don't see that many single variety Petit Syrah, but I check every one I can find. Uh, you know, Syrah is pretty much the same thing. They they they, they have a, a name identification, and they're similar in some ways, but they're also two really unique, different grapes that that uh, give you slightly different flavor characteristics. Typically, the Petit Syrah is a little bit bigger wine, although in this case, I think they're really balanced. The bigness is pretty much the same. Alcohol is the same in both of them. Yeah. And uh, so I, I find it the more similar here. Uh, in fact, so someone who didn't know the difference would say, oh, these are probably the same grape. Just this was a little bit smaller than the other one. No, it's not. But uh, they, they actually evolved differently. Uh, but they, it, it, I think it was the, the Rhone that the... Uh, that uh, Durham came up with this combination of of the the, the, the two grapes that he used uh, to, to actually make this off offspring of it. But they are the French didn't like it that much. But actually, I, I'd be surprised if they haven't aren't doing some plannings of it now. I was gonna say, are the French using it at all now? They they hadn't. Uh, they turned their nose up at it. But yeah. uh, and, and it's still not a, a really popular. You know, a lot of people are not that familiar with it. Uh, there has been some different things done, uh, like in Lodi area, to do something with a uh, petite Syrah com- combined with another grape, uh, which is petite Verdot, and come up with a, a new combination with that. So a lot of times they do combine these. Uh, Syrah normally is... Most of the Syrahs I've seen are, are, are more like a single variety. It's, it's more the petite Syrah... When they want to add, they'll do as probably as much blending as as a single as a single varietal. I almost hate to ask where you got this one from. This so so bond. Yeah, where, did, uh, where that did one it? that one was was from Tullow Wine. Uh. I, I'm I'm sorry, I happen to like the Soban <laughs> wines. Uh, this I've I've had about three, That's okay. three three different ones, and it's well represented in Tullow Wine. Uh, so I can't help it. I just keep going back and getting another one. They have the fiddlestick one I've tried before, uh, fiddlestick Zinfandel, yeah. and I've got another old vine Zinfandel from them that I picked up the same time as this one. I'm not sharing that one though. Okay. <laughs> Actually, I was thinking back. I, I was as you were talking about this, uh, the Terra di Oro winery. I think I I was supposed to. I, I was on a trip up to that area uh, a couple of years ago um, to do some education with the Trincaro family, and uh, I flew into Sacramento. Okay, and it was there was a delay or something happened, and it and I and I, I fell behind the rest of the group. They, we had to a couple of us on this flight had to catch up, 
and they were at I, we I missed the tour of Terra okay. Oro okay. because we caught up to them at, at, in Lodi um, because they have uh, that's where Trincaro has their main um, main production facility Isn't. and warehousing and distribution center and warehousing facility in Lodi. Okay. And so I, I believe I was supposed to go to Terra de Oro that day, but I missed that trip. I missed it. Which oh, is, boy. You've missed a lot. I know. <laughs> I know. There's nothing I could do. I mean, there's yep. nothing we could yep. do, but um, but the, I, I was very impressed. I was still impressed with their, their their warehouse and production facility in Lodi. I mean, just this unbelievable operation. You realize, I mean, I, I know we're digressing from today's subject, but uh, so you know the the Sutter Home brand puts out 10 million cases a year of wine, over 10 million cases a year. I, I think they use mostly the Central Valley for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But imagine what kind of facility you need to oh, be yeah. able to oh, yeah. produce and bottle and package and store and warehouse and ship over 10 million cases. They do it out of one building. Yeah. It's crazy. It's unbelievable. It's 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 mind-boggling to me. Sometimes that's almost as exciting going to see facilities like that as it is a winery, because you know while the winery is the you know the romance, the vineyards and the crush facility and the product, there's also this fascination with the with the production behind the scenes, right? Oh, I still yeah. haven't been to a big crush. You know, a lot of these wines. I, I I'm not using the I'm not going to use the term garage wine because I know we've gone down that road enough times. Mm-hmm. But there's a but there's a lot of facilities that specialize in making wine where they have no they don't have production at the vineyards on site right so they have to make the wine somewhere um, yep. there's a you know there's a I guess they do they they call them crush facility crush pads crush facilities right, right? there's a I, I'm sure there's a couple of different terms for it yep. but um, and, and you know some people rent space from there some people don't but. You know, and, and some producers own their own separate facilities for making multiple wines. But it's it's a fascinating to me. It's a fascinating part of the business that we we sometimes we don't we overlook. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and, and, a, in fact, it's uh, well, I've, I've been into I've done many winery tours, and uh, because I'm a wine geek, I, I understand that. Yeah. And just seeing how they set up their facilities, uh, Tobin James uh, and his, his wines. I've been a fan of his for a long time. And the first of his wine I, I tried was at a, a tasting room because he didn't have his own facility. He was actually doing his crushes at Everly, which is one of the bigger ones in the in the Fessel Robles area. And uh, in fact, I was doing a tasting at Everly once, and and I was talking about uh, about Tobin's wines. He says, "Oh, well, Tobin's. We, we were up upstairs, and he had all the windows so you could look downstairs at right. the facility, right? And I, I don't know if you've ever been." To uh, the I haven't, facility, I been there. It, 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 it's a pretty impressive. One. Anyway, he says, "Oh, that's Tobin down there doing a the crush." And I said, "Oh, wow!" So anyway, and then some years later, he finally had his own winery, and it's it, it's a fascinating one. It, it's it's the old west, yeah. And because of Tobin James, we were always part uh, our wine club. But we were the James Gang, <laughs> and he, of course, he had a large size, full size cutout of John Wayne set up there. <laughs> Uh, the the bar area had the the uh, brass rails, the spittoons, the whole the whole nine yards. The Duke, yeah, and <laughs> nice. it, it is a really trippy place to go. Uh, so anyway, but so, watch, watching someone evolve like that from, yeah, you know, ha- having to do that and and having someone else sell your wines until you can do it. I just I would just say encourage listeners out there to you know not only not only see the romantic side of the vineyards. And where the grapes are grown, and, and the little tasting rooms, but also take a chance if you have if you have the opportunity to tour a a crush facility, 
or a production facility because oh, yeah. it gives you a whole different perspective on what it go what goes into making these wines, you yeah. know, and how it's done and how and how much how many how many steps there are and how in labor intensive it is. So and and it, it, there's a, a certain smell there. If they could bottle it as a perfume, I would probably take it. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a certain it, you know it's it, it's 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 hard to describe, but. It's it's just like all this earthy, all this element of the yeah, wine must, is musty used. and grapey yeah. and just yeah. This, yeah, like being in a wine cell, like when you're in a wine cave, you know, right. like having that that smell emanating from the barrels and just the aroma in the air is just yeah. fascinating. We are self-confirmed wine nuts. What can yeah. I say? <laughs> but we we love it. It's a it's a very special uh, beverage. It is a food uh, as as many and it is perishable. Say. Let's people remember that it's yeah, perishable, perishable. Very, very perishable, and, and enjoy it, but enjoy it responsibly. Absolutely, uh, That's absolutely. Our... It's, it's you know we, we we do that here, but we love the wine, but we also also love our bodies, and we want to take care of both. So just don't o- overdo it. Yeah, enjoy I really it. love my body. That's I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> <laughs> really love my body. We, we've noticed that. Yeah. So good. Just saying. We glad you a... pointed that out. <laughs> Another great addition here to the Spirits of New Mexico here in the Kiva to wrap up yet another week. Uh, Jim, I have to tell you, I love the Seraph that's coming from California. You've been so incredibly fortunate to uh, spend so much of your time there and uh, share your experiences with so many people here in Albuquerque who oftentimes right now during the uh, additional second lockdown uh, that has uh, become on Thursday, um, these wineries are suffering. So please... Uh, try to drink locally as much as you can. Uh, Kevin, you're trying to keep those, Absolutely, you know, please. those order places your, going. Order um, from your local restaurants. Take out. Go, yeah. if, go to the, if you can find a reservation, take it. Go. You know, uh, my, wife, my wife and I are going. Yeah. Uh, my wife and I are going out. We, but, you know, she only wants to eat out, sit outdoors. That's fine. We're going to sit outdoors, and we're okay with that. You know, yeah. to, as the winter comes on, there's going to be patio heaters. So don't worry about continuing to go to local restaurants. Still support them. It'll be chilly, but you'll have heaters on the patios. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, and, and also check out uh, nmwine.com, NewMexicoWine.com, uh, because they'll tell you all the wineries that are open and any way you can go there uh, to pick up and the, the wines that they're offering. Um, and spirits. Yeah, and, and if, if, if it's one you really like, see if they'll do a private tasting. Like I said, with, with Marlagra, we're doing a private tasting for four. Yeah. And... Uh, uh, I'm, I'm really excited about that, but you can do that too, and and then pick up the wine. But just just help our our, our local people here. Uh, they're 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 having their own challenges, just like everyone else. But like no other time. Yeah, like no other time ever. Yeah, please please help them. Uh, so you've got. Please plug a bunch of places that you recommend, Jim, uh, here in the last minute, if you would. Well, you def- said Milagro. Milagro, definitely. Uh, Corrales Winery, uh, Sequia, and uh, Pasando Champo. Four wineries in the little village of Corrales, where I live. Uh, so what a deal that there is. And ch- check with New Mexico Wine to see the availability of each one. They'll give you links to every winery, their hours operation, what's going on. Uh, outside of that, uh, Black Mesa is one of my favorites, up, up further up north, uh, just above Santa Fe. Ponderosa. Ponderosa Valley. Yeah. Uh, Ponderosa. Ponderosa Valley is is out in the middle of nowhere, actually. But it, actually, it's a fabulous area to Unbelievable. explore. Yeah, yeah it, it, that's a great area to explore. And of course, you have all the ones down south. I mean, there's almost too too many. Uh, you know, Gruet and and uh, 
D.H. Lacombe are the two biggies. Yeah. So they're they're going to weather the storm a lot better than others will probably. You can go to my favorite uh, place, Casa Rodenia. Uh, pick up uh, Casa Rodenia. Some, is, some is, bottles of wine. That would be good. Check but, out uh, Santa Fe Spirits up in up in Santa Fe. is, is a oh, fantastic yeah. place to... Oh, yeah. I'm gonna, we're gonna. I'm gonna explore some of that. I might bring some of that in in the coming weeks. Yeah. Some, uh, oh, thanks, Kevin. Some, some Colin, Colin did a great job yeah. with that. He's. he's I, I. I love that. Yeah, that was one of the. First we just. Ones. We just started selling there. We just picked up their their brands. We just. Oh, we started. Great. We started distributing for them. It, it came over in a trade yep. from our friend from our competitor. So now we sell. We sell Santa Fe Spirits. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. His own yeah. variation on Scotch is is pretty. Impressive. Oh yeah, that's the one I was thinking of bringing in the, the Cole Keegan American oh, whiskey. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, do that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Do that next time, please. Yep. yep. Hey, Kevin, uh, would you just take a minute and plug a bunch of places, please? Yeah. Locally I mean, here? locally for, I mean, for, for shops, I mean, we talk about Jubilation and Quarters and Kelly's, uh, different Kelly, you know, Kelly's is, it used to be, uh, people think of it as one big group. They're owned, in, they're independently owned. Uh, most of them are owned single store, maybe two stores at the time. So visit, you know, Fourth Street, Mountain Run, um, down in Berlin, there's a great Kelly store. Um, down if you around the state, I, we got listeners everywhere. If you're up north in Farmington, check out Zia Liquors. If you're down in Las Cruces, celebrate. Um, if you're in Roswell, uh, Fens or Farmers, you know our uh, well Fens is in Artesia. If you're all the way down there, and Farmers in Roswell, I mean the great local places that that uh, you know Triangle Grocery. If you're over in the East Mountains, a great place to pick up uh, products. Support local. Like that's that's to me is. Uh, Paradise Liquor on the west side, two stores, a couple stores on the west side. So, you know, there's plenty of places to go support local and help help the economy. And, get and he did that wines. without a list, by the way. That's <laughs> <laughs> what it's happens just, when you're uh, when you're in the business. Absolutely. And, uh, These are. I want to remind remind you to, we to appreciate drink Kevin being Wait, in the business. And we yeah. forgot Coco Man up north and Susan's as well. So don't forget about those guys up there. And uh, please, folks, drink responsibly and uh, don't forget to love your body too. Sure. As go. much as Eddie does. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So long, everybody. Stay tuned. The best of Sean Hannity is next.